0: here with Tom's Big Spiders. We're going to kick this one off with some revisions, one of which has been a long time coming. Personally, I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about revisions. I think people that have been in the hobby for a while and understand what revisions mean and how they work, actually appreciate and look forward to them. Sometimes they come out of nowhere, they're surprised and they're kind of fun. I get that sometimes we're used to calling, you know, species certain things for many years. I mean, I think of uh, brachypelma smithy that was like you know, i always call it the hobby staple it's a very popular spider a lot of people have it in their collections and when that one switched over to hammer eye there was actually i thought there was going to be a little rebellion from some people that were kind of newer to the hobby that didn't understand why they would just change the name or in fact in this case they were just reassigning the correct name to the species because the way this stuff works is it isn't just somebody out there deciding all of a sudden that, hey, I'm going to change up a name of something because um, I don't like it or whatever it may be. And people need to understand also that the hobby is a very small part of these guys and not really reflected in the scientific community. And what I mean by that is the people that are doing this, the scientists, the taxonomists that are going out there doing the research on these guys aren't really looking to the hobby for what the names are that's not really on their radar they're out there to make sure that the species are correctly labeled they're looking at all kinds of things including DNA now and comparing you know physiological traits looking at where they come from all this stuff comes together when they decide to change a name and I think in the hobby we we get used to the fact that you know really who likes these spiders but us so we get attached to the names, we don't realize it's not how it works. We lean on the scientific community to give us our scientific names. And when they change, it's a good thing because it means somebody out there is putting in the time and effort. And it's a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's not an easy thing to do to examine these animals and to come up with the correct scientific classifications for them. So I personally like it. I understand why people get upset when it happens. You know, uh, Aviculary Versicolor is another one that was changed to Carabina Versicolor. And I, oh gosh, like once a week, somebody will comment on my Versicolor video, why did they change the name of this? I don't understand. And sometimes the old, well, I'm going to continue to call it avicularia. You have to understand that it may be, you know, seem upsetting at first and maybe kind of shocking and feel weird at first calling something by a name that's different than the one you've called it for quite some time but that's kind of how it works being you know trying to block the name change by digging in and saying I'm not going to call it anything else especially if you're you know putting out information online or on videos it's just kind of irresponsible because you know two three years from now people that are just getting into the hobby are only going to know Caribbean versicolor they're only going to know brachypelma hemorrhoid and pretty soon, which will be kind of interesting, they're going to only know a couple other species by new names. The first one up was a long time coming. The Ulathless species red is now Homeoma chalensis. And I'm pretty excited about this, af- actually. Um, it's one of the more popular spiders out there, especially for beginners. I've been talking about them for years. And I will say I've done a uh, couple care sheets, one on my uh, or care Guides of one of them on my website, one of them on YouTube, and they get a lot of views. People are constantly looking for these guys, and it was just kind of silly for the longest time, because usually when you have this the ones with the species designation, those are ones that haven't been fully described. They're kind of tossed in a group, and we don't know what they really are, but we're going to call them species whatever for a while, and I think... With that one, it just felt weird because it's such a popular spider that we don't really have described yet. So I'm so glad. I heard for a while that people were looking at it, and apparently the paper has been published. And basically, the species that has been referred to as Eulathus species red or what was the other, Uathless, somebody switched up, homeoma species fire, I believe was the other thing, because what happened is when you hear something labeled Uathless, a lot of times, especially if it has that species designation after it, Uathless tends to be a dumping ground for spiders that aren't identified yet from that area, so for example, going back to Brachypelma smithy, originally when I first got into the hobby Brachypelma smithy was you smithy so that one's used as kind of a catch-all we're not sure where to put this so we'll drop it in Ulathless. and then as they get studied they generally a lot of times these spiders get moved out into other uh genera so this one is a big one, obviously, because of the fact that a lot of people either have homeoma or want to get homeoma chilensis. It's always fun time when they change the names over because as somebody that produces content that tells how to care for them, I have to now go back and try to adjust my titles for my YouTube videos and go through my website and change references to include homeoma cholensis. You leave it as eulatheless for a while because that's what people are going to be looking for until this catches on and I haven't heard a lot of talk about it from people yet so I don't think word has really gotten out. I did publish an article on Tom's Big Spiders that goes into this in much more detail where I kind of broke down the paper on it so anybody interested can go there and check that one out. But again, I'm excited by it. I like it. I like the name. Um, Personally, it's one that kind of rolls off the tongue and it's good that this spider that everybody likes is has finally been described. Now, when reading the paper, there were a couple uh, tidbits that I really found fascinating. Um, First of all, this would be the first homeoma species to be found in the country of Chile, and previously this genus was only found in Brazil, Uruguay, Colombia, Argentina, and Peru. So that's kind of a cool little fun fact. Um, As far as how to keep them, I have what I'm pretty sure are wild-caught specimens, and I've noticed there's a distinct difference between the behavior of wild-caught specimens and ones that have been raised in captivity or captive-produced specimens, and I've always been wondering what their actual habitat looks like, because mine tend to wander a lot, they don't do a lot of burrowing, they don't do a lot of webbing, you know, web a little teeny area. Well, the H. chalensis was found in shallow burrows beneath rocks and under tree trunks. Burrows were generally no deeper than around five centimeters. Now, I'm not really a metric guy, but luckily I teach and we do the metric system at school, so I kind of can picture this. That is not very deep at all. And there were actually some photos included in this paper, so I would you know encourage people to check the paper out if they can find it, where they show the burrows being very, very short. It's like our typical terrestrial setup in the hobby where you put some cork bar, uh, pork bark on your substrate you put a little hole underneath it and they pretty much just sit in that hole with a little bit of webbing so they're really pretty out in the open they were observed eating ground beetles wasps and other spiders and I think possibly the most interesting revelation in this paper was that H. chilensis adults were found to occupy burrows in close proximity to other adults sometimes mere centimeters apart and again that photo that I just referenced is particularly fascinating because in the photo you can see about five or I think there's four or five burrows within what looks like to be about a one square foot area so That almost points to some type of communal behavior. Now, how they interact when they encounter each other, I don't know, and obviously this is just speculation. But generally speaking, that's precariously close for any species that would be kind of inclined to cannibalize another another of its species. That's that I think that's really interesting stuff there. So, am I telling people to go out and keep these communally? Absolutely not, but this is something I hadn't heard before, and it does get you thinking about the possibilities. Because, again, if they're that close together and living peacefully, peacefully, it indicates that there is at least some type of social behavior. So that, I thought, was a huge development. The other one that comes out, and this isn't a species that you see around as often, but the species originally referred to as Eulathless species, yellow, is now homeoma, oh, I'm going to have a hard time with this, aurelanii. Or Orrayanae, it depends if the Spanish, the double L's are pronounced in Spanish or not. And I probably butchered the heck out of that one. I apologize, but the scientific names, they take me a while, and, and even then I sometimes get them wrong. So that is another development. So homeoma has just picked up two new spiders, which again, I find this information Very cool myself. Um, Personally, I think people should be excited about it. We don't want that species designation. Every time you see the species, it just opens up room for, you know, confusion. We want people to look at these spiders, study them, and then change the taxonomy or change the identification when needed and warranted. So I'm pretty excited about it. The next one we're going to do, I didn't see too much on. I stumbled on by accident on September 12th of this year. There was a new revision paper on the genus Taponakinius, and there are some changes in that one, including one big one. So I, I was pretty excited about this and, and somehow it flew under my radar. So first off, you know, just at a glance, a new genus was created and it's pseudoclemoris or pseudoclemoris, which I'm pretty excited about. And the big one that kind of shocked me because I just rehoused this one, and luckily I was able to get this article before I, you know, did the label on my label maker. Tapanakinius gigus is now Pseudoclamorus or Pseudoclamorus gigus. Yeah, so T gigus is now P gigus, and Tapanakinius aleni is now Pseudoclamorus aleni. Tapacinius species Columbia, and I believe this is the one I've been trying to get clarification. I did email the author, but I haven't heard back yet. I'll try to shoot out another one, but um, I believe it's Tapacinius species Columbia is now Pseudoclamorus burgessi. Tapacinius species Union Island Caribbean Diamond is now Tapacinius rosti. Tapacinius, and I'm going to kill this one: Sancta Vincenti or T species Saint Lucia is now pa- Tappanichinius polybodes. Tappanichinius, I'm going to butcher this one terribly, Tappanichinius subcaruleus is now considered a nomen dubium, meaning that their name is in doubt. They're not sure it's actual a species. And a and the new genus Pseudoclamorus will both be added to the somopoenei subfamily. That was, I, I hope I didn't completely kill all of that. That was a, a, a lot to... I actually tried to uh, practice this a bit before going on air, and uh, obviously it didn't work too well. So some really cool changes there, and obviously I think the most prominent species that got the name changed was the previous uh, Tapachinius gigas. Uh, Tapachinius is obviously one spider shorter now, a couple spiders shorter here. One, two, three spiders shorter it looks like, which is, you know, that's pretty big news. So Tappanichinus gigas, anybody that owns one of those beautiful orange fiery tappies, I have a female who's just gorgeous that we rehoused this weekend, I did not tape it because it's one of the few spiders that I have that has actually escaped on me legitimately, um, that one is now Pseudoclamorus gigas, gigas, so if you want, just get a little sharpie out and change that T to a P, but I'm assuming people will want to practice this new genus name, I think it's... Uh, Pretty cool sounding, actually. So there's another big change right there. So that's two big ones as far as, you know, in terms of species that many folks will find in their collections between the homeoma chilensis and the new pseudoclamorous gigas. We've uh, got a lot to celebrate because this means, again, that people are actually looking at these animals that we love. They're doing the research on them. They're taking the time to define them, go through, you know, and in this case, I don't know if they went through DNA evidence, but that is becoming more popular. They're comparing DNA. But the bottom line is they're actually taking the time to examine these animals. And this can only benefit us for comfort, conservation, you know, knowing which species are in which area, having them properly labeled. That's an important aspect. So there's a lot to come from this. So, again, I do totally get when people hear about this, I'm, I'm expecting the latheless species is going to uh, set some people that are new to the hobby off, especially ones that haven't had gone through one of these name changes before because everybody's just loves the athelous species and now we're going to be calling it something different so I'm sure I'll be doing some explaining when I do the video I'm putting a video together for both of these about the name changes and I'm going to put it up on YouTube and I'm sure I'll get a lot of comments about people saying they don't understand why this happens. Or that they're not going to change a name. They're going to keep calling it whatever they want. And I get it. I do. I really do. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. And that is something usually people outgrow as they spend some time in the hobby. So cool times here. Very excited to report on both of these. And I'll, as usual, keep my eye open for any other changes. And again, I ask if anybody, sometimes I get out, you know, out of the loop. I try to follow the boards and everything else to keep an eye on this type of stuff. But you know, I love it when people drop me a line and let me know that there's a change because that will allow me to jump on it quickly and get the information out there faster. All right, next we're going to talk a bit about rehousings. I had somebody email me recently and say they've watched a lot of my rehousing videos and were wondering if there are other ways to rehouse tarantulas, especially the burrowing ones, And, um, yes, there are. And I think if anybody's watched my YouTube channel, obviously I do a lot of rehousing videos. Uh, one reason is because I don't catch a lot of my guys out and about, and i have this thing about molesting them to get them out in the open. If they're in a den or in a burrow, I'm not going to do anything to disturb them just so I can get footage of them. That's not What it's about for me, honestly. And, you know, to each your own, I know people will do it. And if you're trying to do a channel and you're trying to get video of a species and they won't come out and play, I get they can be difficult and the temptation can be there to try to get them out so that you can show what they look like. And totally get that. But for me, I'm not wasting my time doing that. I'm not bothering my tarantulas for something like that. The videos are always secondary. The care of the tarantulas is always first for me. And I just don't want to aggravate them or put myself in a bad position because some of the ones that burrow are obviously a little nasty and I don't want to stir them up. So that's one. One reason I do a lot of the rehousing videos, it does give give me a chance to show off some of the ones I don't see very often. The other reason obviously would be that I'm trying to show people how a rehousing can go, what you can expect during a rehousing granted I had I had it insinuated a couple times that I don't show the ones that go wrong and that is honest to God not the truth I have showed just about every single rehousing I have ever decided to record uh, one of the only ones we aborted was one Billy and I were doing with an H Mac and it was because it was getting a little bit tricky I needed an extra set of hands so I asked Billy to put down the camera and she loves telling the story of how there was a point where it had its little legs outside of the top of the enclosure about three Three inches from her hand there was no I was holding the cardboard over the top of it it couldn't get out but uh, after we were all done she's like wait wait a minute so this is one of these really highly venomous ones and we kind of giggled about it and she was in no danger I swear but it's been kind of a running joke for us but that's been the only one we've pretty much aborted the majority of them go quite well and I think part of it is that I've gotten a lot of practice doing it uh, part of it is I'm very fortunate my tarantulas seem to remain calm during it so I don't have too much to show off as far as rehousing debacles. However, one of the methods that people have asked me to try out for many, many years is the quote unquote flood method. And what it involves, depending on who you ask, it can change. It involves basically either trickling or pouring water in or around the tarantula's den to make it come up to the surface. Now, before trying this, I first saw this several years ago, and I thought this would be a great way to get them out. And the first time I tried it, it was with a sling. I think it might have actually been my C. lividus and it worked pretty well I, I dribbled some water down its burrow and obviously it was lined with silk so what happened is as it filled up the tarantula came further and further up and then i was able to kind of shoo it out into a catch cup it worked pretty well i tried it again with a Formicidae species i think the second time and this time it didn't work so well basically As I was trying to lure the Formictopus species out, it got spooked, and before I could even get it into a catch cup or prod it into a catch cup, it bolted back into the burrow, and I basically had to dig the whole thing up, and at that point, it was completely muddy, and it was a mess. I tried it again later with a uh, Phlogis crassipes, And that one, I actually, it actually worked pretty well with that one. It came out and I was able to basically, I collapsed the burrow behind it so it couldn't get back into the burrow. So one of the issues I have had with this technique is you have to be kind of quick when they come out they are basically trying to avoid the flood and they're being careful. So if you spook them, they will shoot back in. So the trick is to try to get them and kind of lure them into the catch cup, you know, use a paintbrush to kind of prod them along, but it puts, I just, it's not my favorite thing to do. I'm not very comfortable with it. So anyway, I had a lot of people asking me to do it again. And the last time I had tried it, I believe it was with my H. Gigas. And now the problem with this, and this is what arose, and this is what made me a little gun shy to use this technique, and I'll explain why I kind of shy away from it, but obviously it works for some people. So I'm not going to sit there and say it doesn't work. It just hasn't worked for me. The problem with this is it's the T Giga or the H gigas had basically constructed a second chamber in its burrow. So instead of a burrow straight down, a lot of times you have a burrow, they go straight down or down at an angle and you have the main burrow in a corner and it's like a 45, whatever the angle may be, but there's one chamber of it. This one had actually done two chambers. So there was a chamber going down, but it built another chamber up and around. So what happened was as I flooded the burrow, instead of coming coming up to the exit to the, the burrow, it basically went into this other chamber and kind of hunkered down. And that proved to be a huge problem because I kept pouring in more and more water, what was starting to happen, and this is, again, one of my issues with this technique. Is that the surrounding substrate was actually starting to absorb the water? So instead of the water filling up the den and flooding it, it was just soaking into the substrate. The substrate started to collapse. It turned into a nightmare, a muddy mess. So I basically had to dig it out. And this particular one, I was trying to put it in slow because I had talked to some people that use it, and this was this is one of the things I found with this technique. Is some people tell you, oh yeah, you want to kind of pour the water in at a pretty good pace, flood it quickly so that it doesn't absorb into the surrounding dirt and the spider will come right out someone else told me nope you want to pour it in nice and slowly little by little and that'll entice the spider out then the other thing I was having a hard time with is do you pour it outside of the burrow or do you pour it in the burrow therefore do you pour it in the web sock which fills up that web sock and causes it to come out and knowing that some of them may not have completely full web socks in there so it may leach out into the surrounding substrate or do you pour it on the outside so again I just find there are too many factors that I'm uncertain of when I attempt this you know where is the tarantula's burrow do I put in the inside do I put the outside and I feel comfortable in what I'm doing anyway digging them up so it really just didn't seem to be a great use of my time but anyway I acquiesced people were asking to see it we Billy and I decided to give it a shot and basically we did it with my sea lividus and it was a debacle now in this case I poured the water in at a fairly fast clip and my hopes were that the water would water level would fill up it would come out it didn't come out and basically what ensued was a long video of me digging out The spider from the mud now keep in mind you're not going to drown a spider this quickly but I did feel like it caused undue stress to the animal because it didn't go well and so now not only have I flooded its home and trapped it in a bunch of mud but now I also have to do the process of digging it out so I really debated whether to post this video and and this is why when you've put a video up on YouTube, you never know when that's going to be the first video somebody sees. I know a lot of people out there follow my YouTube channel, know me from Tom's Big Spiders, you know, my video, my podcast, my articles online. They know me from that. So they, I have a reputation, I think in, in the community to a point, but there are people out there who have never seen a single video of mine in, in their lives that might just stumble upon this. And my worry was that people would stumble on this, never give my channel a chance. And I think I've done a lot of good for the hobby over the years. I try to put the best information out there. And what they would see is one of my biggest failures as far as using a certain technique. But on the other hand, I thought it was very important to show what can happen if you don't do this correctly to show apparently it wasn't the right way to do it although somebody else had told me that was exactly what had worked for them i'd have other other people told me to do it slowly in the hole outside of the hole um put a hole down the side and fill that up a buddy of mine has a youtube channel and he recently did a video where it worked very well it looked like he was doing it with a uh, it was a smaller enclosure with a smaller specimen and it worked very, very well for him, and he actually sent me a link to it and said, hey, I think I figured out the secret to it. And, and again, it worked for him. I'm not discounting that this technique works for people, but I will say that there, were, I've heard other people that say that it doesn't work that way, and I've... It just seems like one of those techniques that you really have to practice and kind of play with and mess around with to figure out how to make it work for you. And I just don't want to use too many of my spiders as guinea pigs. Plus, I honestly find the digging method works perfectly fine for me. So, as far as techniques for rehousing, yes, for rehousing fossorial species, the flood method is one I would encourage you to look up on YouTube watch my video but by all means I'm not going to try to tell you that's the best way to do it because that was an absolute debacle and I labeled it as such in the description but try to find other people to do it I did notice that it seems to work better with smaller specimens and and that seems to be the common thread the ones where it works really well are smaller specimens that are in a smaller container that's easier to monitor that doesn't offer as much substrate to absorb the, the liquid you're pouring in that has maybe a clear cut burrow that's very easy to identify so that you can basically target where you want the water to go i haven't seen it work particularly great with adults i did see one where they poured it down an adult hole and basically they enticed the adult to come out and then the guy basically took a paintbrush and a catch cup and basically touch his butt and got it to go the rest of the way out in the catch cup. The problem is that puts you in a situation where you could get some defensive uh, behavior as far as I'm concerned, which is one of the reasons I don't like to use it. And if I've had the situation like with the Crassipe's where it tried to shoot back down in, came out, the Promictopus, same thing. So I just don't find it as reliable as my tried and true method, but that is something people could look up. The other technique that I haven't done, and I tried it once and it was just more trouble than it's worth, but I have talked to a few people that have used it, is the bag technique. Basically what you need is a thick plastic, clear plastic bag. You put the plastic uh, rubber band, a nice thick rubber band, and you basically put the plastic bag over the top of the enclosure with the rubber band and then use a paintbrush or something to kind of tease the spider out into the plastic bag. Then once the spider's in there, you kind of catch it. Like if you've ever get crick- uh, bought crickets, they take the crickets, they put them in the bag and then they quickly fill it with air and put a rubber band around it. It's kind of the same type of theory. So you move the rubber band off. So you trap the spider in the bag. Then you put it over the other enclosure put it over the lip of the enclosure put the rubber band out and get the spider basically so can kind of squeeze the end of the bag and get the spider back in and some people find this works very well personally I think it works better with juveniles and slings I, I tried it once with an adult and I just say trying to get it over the top of the enclosure without the dirt spilling out it just doesn't work very well but a lot of people especially those new to the hobby that are still getting the hang of rehousings that are desperately afraid one of those quick little slings is gonna take off on them. This can be a great method to start off. You just need to take your time and keep in mind that they can bite through the bag so you want to be you know careful and cautious of where you put your hands as far as the bag is concerned. But obviously another one that works for people. I like the digging method as far as the fossorial species and using catch cups for everything, whether it be my arboreals or my terrestrials, or my fossorial species, because it just, it, their whole body is covered with hairs, and that's a major sense organ for them, and I've found that when you put the catch cup over them, even ones that are kind of jacked up, a lot of times, there's an initial, they'll like start for a minute, and they'll move quickly, but then they settle right down, I think part of that's because you're blocking off the airflow, they're not so much responding to the visual stimuli of, of you Towering over them and trying to get them in the catch cup. A lot of times, when you open up the containers, the air starts flowing in, they realize they're exposed, and that freaks them out. Drop a catch cup over them, and I've had some of the ones that are really freaking out calm down immediately. So that's why I like using the catch cup. And the digging method one of the things my buddy, and again, I, great guy, and, and this is just something we're going to agree to disagree on. In his video, he posted that he thought that it was less stressful using the flood method than digging them out. And uh, I never deal in absolutes. Because, you know, who am I to, plus there's no real way to measure the stress, but I will say, yes, if it works really, really well, if it works perfectly, like it sometimes does when you do the flood method, then I would say a perfect use of a flood method probably will cause a little bit less stress because it's just kind of teasing the spider out. There's no big, you know, digging or cowering in its container. You're just kind of teasing it out. Whereas with digging, they kind of retreat to the bottom. They curl up into the stress pose and you kind of carefully dig around them and get them out. However, that's when it works. And I've had, you know, again, I've done this, I think, six times. I've tried the flood method, and I've had it work well for me twice. And that's using different type, you know, again, inside the hole, outside of the hole, pouring it in, trickling it in whatever the case may be. So I think if it works really well, yeah, maybe it could be. But I think overall, I will stand by something that I'm comfortable with. And I think that's the trick with successful rehousings is to find something that works for you. I've had people comment, I do obviously my rehousings on my dinner table. And I've had people comment, don't you freak out that, you know, they're going to be able to get away. And my answer is no, I put a lot of obstacles around the dinner table, quite frankly, my dinner table is full of obstacles anyway. So it really isn't a big deal. But when I'm doing rehousings, I feel like I need to be able to move around. I don't like being trapped in one spot. I need to be able to move around the table, work at different angles. That's the way I feel I can most safely dig tarantulas out or get them out of their enclosures. I need, I need my movement. I need freedom of movement around me. And that's just, again, my comfort level. Now, do I understand people that don't want that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think it comes down to figuring out what works for you, what's going to make you successful and what's going to make you comfortable because rehousings, uh, successful rehousings, all the thing they have in common is the person doing them is, is comfortable and staying calm. And you don't want a situation where something goes wrong and you're scrambling all around in a situation that you're not comfortable in so the trick is to to do it wherever you feel comfortable whether it be on the table whether I've seen some people do it outside which um, I've done a couple times again there's always the worry that if the tarantula bolts you're going to be chasing it up a tree or up the side of your house and then uh, one of the things people ask me about is doing it in the bathtub we tried that once and quite frankly I'm not a fan of that again because I can't move around It, it basically only provides me with one angle to go out the tarantula And I can't stand being on my knees for long periods of time. It just, it's uncomfortable. It just doesn't feel right for me. And I don't feel very comfortable doing it that way. However, I've talked to people that that's their go-to method. And I completely understand my buddy, Mike Farlis. ...from Casey Tarantula, as I know does all of his in his bathtub, he's comfortable doing that, and I would never argue that, so I think, again, the trick is to find something that works completely for you, know if you use the bathtub, it is a myth that they can't scramble up the side of the bathtub, they absolutely can scramble up the side of the bathtub... But if you want to make it a little more difficult for them, what you want to do is basically spray down the side of the bathtub first, which makes it much more difficult for them to gain traction, and that will keep them from bolting up the side and ending up on your bathroom ceiling. So a little tip there, I heard that from somebody years ago that I was telling them I was doing it in the bathtub, and I watched things shoot right up the side, and they're like, oh yeah, they can go up there, but you want to moisten it. Same thing if you're rehousing and using plastic bins. I like to use large plastic bins to get myself a little room, so if it gets out of its enclosure and bolts. I can put the lid on the bin until it calms down. You can also spray down the inside of plastic bins to keep them from scrambling up those too quickly. So I've done that before. I think there's a video out there where Billy and I were rehousing one of my phlogius crassipes and it got out and I was using a shallow bin, but I had actually sprayed down the side of the bin first so it couldn't get up and over the side. Had I not sprayed it, it probably would have gained purchase much more easily and then up and over and on my dinner table, which would not have been a good thing. And finally, for people who have been doing it for a while, there's a method that Billy and I kind of jokingly call the poke and pray where you don't use a catch cup. You just put the two containers next to each other take your paintbrush or whatever you're diddling the spider with to get it to move and then kind of prod it into the other enclosure. And this can work very well for kind of docile species or species that aren't particularly defensive or prone to bolting. I don't use it very often, but there's been a couple times like a eulateless species or now it's homeoma. A species chilensis I would do it with easily you just kind of poke them my um grandma i've used it on before because those are rather laid back so you want to use it on species that are kind of laid back but buddy of mine casey peter has noted that he actually uses it on all the spiders including obts and whatnot so if you are comfortable with it which i'm guessing most people that are listening to this their beginners would not be comfortable with doing it at that point because there's nothing really containing it you're just kind of gently prodding it into the next enclosure but if you're comfortable with it it can work very well I just always worry because if the tarantula does become startled, you are you still want to have a catch cut by to make sure you can grab it if it takes off. But again, I've used it. Other people have used it. and It's something to think about. So that'll about do it for this one. As usual, if you want to check out my videos, you can find them on YouTube under Tom's Big Spiders. I also have the website, tomsbigspiders.com. I'll be posting a bunch of stuff up. I've been working on a bunch of articles for that one, and I will also have the homeoma and pseudoclamorous revision papers or the basically the rundown of those papers up as well pretty soon i believe the homeoma one's already up and i'm working on the pseudoclamorous one now so that one will be up very soon as well and then a bunch of kind of obscure species that i got about a year and a half ago that are now juvenile or young adult size or even one of them is maturing so i'll be getting up care guides on those as well so that'll about do it for this one and i'll catch everybody next time